What's up, everybody? This is Marlins in-game host, Mike B., and you're listening to Fish Across the Pond, Marlins UK podcast with Peter Pratt. Cheers from the 305. Welcome to episode 97 of Fish Across the Pond. It's a Marlins UK podcast, and I'm your host, Peter Pratt. Joining me for this one, one UK goat is in the house, the beard to be feared. He is here. Well, you can't see it, but I can. City connected up, looking fine. Sean Barrett, how are we doing? I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, two weeks since we last recorded, and uh, not a lot of good news to c- come from that, unfortunately. This is going to be a fun episode, no doubt about it. And um, with that in mind, two of the other UK goats you will realise aren't here. So we had to draft in someone, someone big, no doubt about it. Big name, fill two spots. We went to the king, no doubt about it. King of gifts is in the house. Eli Sussman joining us. How are we doing? Yeah, King of Gifts. One thing you can't bring physically to a podcast, the gifts that I do, but I have plenty of opinions. I'll try to have a, twice the takes of a normal man about Marlins these days and all levels. Yeah, this is really the craziest time of year because we're getting far enough into the season that you have a good idea of what the team is and you start immediately thinking, how can the team change and all of that. This is a perfect intersection of why we love a full-length season. This is why I'm so grateful, because we're recording this right before game number 60 of the Marlins season. Imagine that. And I think that's very appropriate that just as the last regular season was winding down, we're just heating up. Uh, There's so much on the plate. So we're going to try to get through it all in a somewhat manageable time period. Thank you, Peter, for having me on. Awesome. It's great to have you on, Eli. It's been a while since you've been on this podcast. I know we've been on on other ones together as well, but um, it's overdue. You're right. Uh, in, in in some people's eyes, they may say they prefer 60-game sprints rather than uh, the 162s for, from a Marlins fan perspective. It has not been good the last two weeks. We haven't recorded um, for two weeks. The Marlins sit at 25 and 34. Nine games under 500. We were flirting with 500 ball. Boy, oh boy. Just one victory in the last 10 coming in a UK-friendly Sunday game with Sandy. So we must say that, finally UK-friendly delivered on a Sunday. But, oh boy, it has been tough. Sean, two weeks since we last spoke. How on earth can you summarise what's gone on in those two weeks? It's going to be difficult. Uh, I mean, you know, when you go on a run where you lose, you know, so many games, especially as we said, in the middle of the season. We're in June now, and we were, we were flirting. We were hanging tough, as we kept saying, and, and we, were staying, we were staying in and around the division. The division on the whole was struggling, um, and we were, we were just about keeping there. And then you, you lose so many games, nine games on the trot, and you just you start to feel the season ebb away from you. And I think that's where we are now. I think it is a situation where we start looking and going, what do we do now with the way that the season's turning? That is a, that is a good point. We're going to look forward 
shortly in terms of the decisions that need to be made, could be made, what options are available to us is, you know, there's a few things to talk about, no doubt about it. Within those those losses, there was a run of eight losses, Eli. There were some absolute heartbreakers in there too, where there were some bullpen meltdowns, explosions, however you want to phrase it. There were some games there that the Marlins should not have, you know, they shouldn't be losing. Um, I know we talked a lot about the bullpen going into the year, but, you know, what? can you put your finger on why this started to happen just so frequently um, in the space of a week? There was maybe three or four of them. What's, I mean, why it's so difficult to come up with an answer is because it was a different pitcher in almost every one of those games. One game it was Yimmy. Uh, one game it was Dylan Floro. One game it was a tandem tag team of Anthony Bass and Anthony Bender, both of them just making these unforced errors. I mean, all, all things considered, we were pretty happy with this bullpen probably the last time you were recording a couple w- weeks ago. Uh, just a handful of pitchers in this bullpen that, I mean, for one, they'd been very fortunate uh, health-wise that this is one of the only bullpens in baseball that's kind of been unaffected by the injury bug. If you think about it, they've just had this consistent group that we could run through all the names. People know them that they've been in this bullpen since opening day and almost all of them have ERAs below four um, guys that for the most part, throw a ton of strikes and uh, keep the ball in the ballpark for the most part as well. And I mean, even if you account for, you know, what's happened during that losing stretch, I mean, all things considered, it's kind of a middle of the pack unit. I wouldn't say it's, all that much. I I still personally, um, when you look at this cold stretch that they had, and this is a stat that I've thrown out there, that eight game losing streak was their longest in six years since the 2015 season. And when they had that other previous losing streak, they fired their manager, Mike Redmond, and they replaced him by bringing Dan Jennings, their general manager down from the front office into the dugout to manage the team, even though he oh had boy. never been a manager before. And they became the laughing stock of baseball for the rest of that season. It kind of unhinged everything. That was like one of the turning points of that entire old core that they had back then, where you just couldn't put it all together. Uh, I mean, that's a big distraction from what we we're talking about, but it just goes to show that this was a very, when there's a losing streak like this, there are often consequences from it. And to this point, there haven't been any clear consequences. And I think that's because when you take the bigger picture and you look at this team now at 25 and 34 in last place in the division, but actually within striking distance of second place, third place, fourth place, there's kind of jumbled up all behind the Mets that I don't think this is all that different from the team you were expecting coming out of spring training, at least not from my perspective, that they were a team that uh, the difference between them and a lot of these other teams in the division is not that significant, but they are lacking in some areas, especially offensively. That's why there's so much pressure on the bullpen. If they're coming into these tied games, if they're coming into these very narrow leads, every single game that the pressure of those situations, it's not even about the workload. Sometimes it's just about the pressure of those situations and how everything needs to go right, because you don't have much of a cushion to work with from the offense that, I mean, the number one culprit to me is, is that offense and, even though they got Starling Marte back, I guess that's the one thing, if we want to switch to a positive, that's one thing we should probably pivot to is Starling Marte being back and being exactly like he was prior to his injury. They're just asking him to do too much where he's really that one guy that's consistent every single game at the plate, working quality at bats. They just do not have the the quality of offensive players around him, especially with some of those guys that they have out with injuries. So just to finish on a positive note, it is great to see Starling back in the lineup and they have some very interesting decisions to make with him in the near term and the rest of the season. 
Oh boy. Well, let's let's get into it. Let's let's get straight into pay Marte. It is the new hashtag. It will be on a t-shirt very soon, no doubt about it. Um, I'm surprised it's not on a shirt already. Yes. I know. (laughs) There's a draft, I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) Sean, you know, when we look at this now, for me, I I I believe this is priority number one for the Marlins right now. Like I just I, I don't see a center fielder right now that is is anywhere near ready. There's plenty of corner outfield guys. I mean, maybe some could transition, but Marte, he's been our best player. He's been our best hitter. He's been our best, probably our best fielder too. His glove is very, very smooth. Um, no doubt about it. You know, do you think the Marlins can actually get a deal done with Marte and actually extend him? And do you think he'd even, do you think he wants to stay as well? I, I know it's not easy to answer, but what's your view on this one? I think we spoke about this before, and I think, as is my want, I'm always the most negative of, of all of us. <laughs> I think the most interesting part of this will be is, do they get it done? And that the money that that will require. I mean, if we look at it, you're looking at 12 to, on the very high side, 18 million a year on a two to three year contract. That's that's what he deserves. I mean, the injury might knock it down. It might be something closer to 12 to 15. But ultimately, you are looking at quite a bit of money for the Miami Marlins to sign him. If they sign him, that's a real big um, sort of like flashing light situation of the Marlins have some money to spend. I mean, you look over the last couple of years and the money is sort of like a little bit here, a little bit there. And I think if they do sign him, it is a real clear desire forwards. I mean, ultimately, you are looking at 2022, 2023, where they're going to have a little bit of money to play with. After that, you're looking at Sandy and Pablo and BA getting further into their arbitration years where they're going to want some more money. So maybe this is the area where we go... We've got a two-year window where we can pay a player like Marte some money before we've got to start paying other people. But if they don't, and if that money doesn't get spent anywhere, that's a clear signal for fans to say, maybe there isn't that money there for the team to be flashing about. What happens when Pablo and Sandy and BA actually want or deserve to be being paid? Because that could really be a concern. Eli, do you think Marte would take a two-year, a two-year deal, eighteen mil a year, something like that? Well, I, we're getting a bit of ahead of ourselves because the key question for the moment is whether or not the team actually holds on to him through the trade deadline because oh, he's no. performing at such an exceptional level. Uh, just to, He's been a good player for a long time. He's been an all-star, as his name would suggest. He's won a couple gold gloves. He's been a great player, but the way he's performing through, what, 24 games to this point, an OPS of 980. I mean, if he had enough playing time to qualify, he'd be leading the National League in on-base percentage for someone that historically has not been a patient hitter. He has not been a guy who walks in the past. He's been a more complete player so far this year than he's ever been in his career. 
which it's astounding for the Marlins. And it's unfortunate that they've kind of not wasted it completely, but haven't gotten the most out of him because he's been even better than he was last year. People were excited that they traded for him last year, but he's playing at even a higher all around level. And when you're doing that, uh, there's going to be so many teams interested uh, at the deadline. Um, and I, I think the key here is that people shouldn't get too overexcited about something happening now. I think it would have to go down to the deadline because for one, whether the team is not totally sure about giving up on the season yet. And the other, because if there are so many teams interested, then there would be some sort of bidding war once they get to that situation in the deadline. They don't need to rush into anything now if there's going to be so much of a demand uh, for him. But it's going to be tempting. Uh, one, because he is their highest paid player this year at $12.5 million. And so of that right now, I'd say about He's still owed about $8 million for the rest of the season to this point. And in any sort of trade, you'd be saving some money in the short term, which if, if you're not going to make the playoffs, that is kind of a, a big temptation for these teams is to save money. If, if that particular player is not going to make a difference in that given year, that's a big uh, perk on top of obviously acquiring several potential long-term pieces in return uh, for trade uh, for him. Uh, I it's an interesting predicament uh, because if you do want to look farther ahead after the season ends, they do have this option of extending a qualifying offer to him um, to tie him to draft pick compensation. It makes sure that it deters other teams from signing him in free agency because they would have to give up a draft pick in order to just sign him as a free agent, whereas the Marlins wouldn't. And so they need to compare whether they think that is as attractive as making a trade immediately uh, while he's still at the top of his game uh, for, for the numbers that you brought up uh, it seems a little low just in terms of when you compare him to who else is going to be available now this is a guy that he's never been a free agent before so I think that's the one thing to be completely clear about is that he I would be shocked if he did not test free agency he's playing as, as I said is he's playing as well as ever and you look at that class of potential free agent outfielders this offseason, and nobody is close to him in terms of guys that can actually play center field, which he still does at a high level. There are defensive-minded guys like Kevin Pillar and Jackie Bradley Jr., potentially, and uh, not a whole lot else, that he'll be very highly coveted in free agency. And uh, even despite his age, even as someone that turns 33 right after the season, he's just going to stand so far apart from his peers that I think at a minimum, a minimum, you're looking at probably a three-year guaranteed contract, if not uh, potentially pushing for a fourth year. So it is, it's going to be a fascinating situation. It, it also has, that's why we keep our eyes on the minor leagues and how these guys, what they're showing at AAA and at AA and even further down and how confident you can be that you may have a successor internally because so far during that, this rebuild, it has not worked out when they felt that a veteran position player had run his course in Miami and they get rid of him and they call up a young player, they call up an Isan Diaz or they call up a Monte Harrison or they give a cup of coffee to Lewin Diaz or Jesus Sanchez. So far, almost none of those guys have like been productive and been successful in the major leagues which is why if you have so much familiarity with this one guy and he's performing at such an elite level um, that there's going to be an obvious temptation to want to keep with what you know and keep a guy that you feel is a great fit for your organization on multiple levels. Uh, they, they're they're going to have so much flexibility payroll-wise after this season, so they can. Uh, there's really no excuse for 
being outbid for somebody like him uh, once that time comes. But for the moment, the keys, the keys question is going to be what those trade conversations are going to be because there are any team, almost any team that is in the race right now. Can you think of any team that has three outfielders that are better than Starling Marte in, no, in all no, baseball? Yes. I think no matter what team you are, uh, and if you're really determined to win this year, you're going to be calling the Marlins and inquiring as to what it would take to acquire him. That's that's what's so fascinating about this is the position he plays, how well he's playing, um, all of that. There's going to be a lot of rumors. So uh, regardless of the outcome, uh, get ready for to see his name flying around. And uh, I'm, I look forward to the discourse around that, though. That's the fun part about running fish stripes is that there's always discourse about something, whether or not we actually know anything, whether or not we're <laughs> right or wrong about something, there's something to talk about. And he is going to be uh, probably the most talked about Marlins player between now and July 30th, July 31st, that deadline. He has to be. He absolutely has to be because the way the Marlins are trending right now, it's unlikely that they're going to be in the mix. And so they will probably be sellers. And I think the other thing that you've brought up, I think, which is so valid is, you know, he's never tested free agency before and the class is weak. So it's going to be very hard for the Marlins to lock him up, I guess, before that anyway. So that'll be factoring into the, the situation. There'll be a load of teams calling, a load of teams needing, plus the Marlins may not even be able to re-sign him anyway, but they may be able to get a draft pick. If they don't, I don't know. I mean, it's there's a, loads of factors going into Marte. The one thing is, I must say, the trade itself that Mike Hill spun and Derek Jeter or whoever's involved in that, but it was a stunning trade at the time. It looked stunning and it's got even better. It was an absolutely brilliant trade. Um, no doubt about it. They had a fantastic deadline last year. Um, also moving on VR, I think as well. And I think they won the game they were playing at the time, which I think was the one game uh, series in New York, if I recall correctly. So it was, it was just a fantastic day all around um, in general, but Marte, that story's going to rumble on and on and on. Um, I guess that brings us back to, Sean, the reality of nine games under in early June. I mean, what date are we here? We're the 8th of June. We're nine games under, seven and a half games back for the division. There is no wild card going for this division. The wild card will be out of this out of this division, I think, the way things are shaping up. So it's division or bust. Really, you know, what's gone wrong the last couple of weeks? I think it's been a similar story to the rest of the season, really. I mean... If you look at Pablo and Sandy and Trevor, the three starting pitchers that we've trusted all year, they're still getting it done. Now we've mixed and matched with, with guys, you know, coming in, starting here and there and having bullpen games. And the bullpen on the whole has done a good job. Now, over the last week or 10 days, they've been, yeah, as Eli said, they've been battered about a little bit. Each guy's had their chance to to throw a game, basically. And I think some of that comes down to workload to a degree. I think ultimately we are really testing the, the limits of a put-together bullpen. Um, but again, it's been the same issue as we've had all year. It's, it's the hitting. There's not enough offence. We're not getting enough done. We're not scoring enough runs. But... I mean, we could blame injuries, but I think the rest of the league are all battling that same problem. But I think we've just lost key guys. You know, Marte going down for time. 
Miggy, you know, the, the face of the franchise, essentially. You know, he's gone down. BA, we've lost him a little bit. Even Alfaro, as, as maybe not offensively minded as he is, when you're replacing him with Sandy Leone and Chad Wallach, you really are sort of, you're not expecting. They are almost pitchers as far as offensively. They are guaranteed outs. And I think ultimately this year has really, really tested our depth a year before we're ready. We've got plenty of guys down in, in the minors that are ready to come up next year maybe offensively but this year it's it's a bridge too far it's an interesting point I, I, I just on sandy when you say uh it's just a pitch i mean actually sandy leone he looks pretty handy on the mound to be fair to him so i'll tip my cap to sandy leone he can he can throw some gas fair play uh but you're right that combination of sandy leone and chad wallach boy oh boy that was not good not good. I mean, the, both of them were hitting under 150 or something. It was it was turgid. Uh, the two of them are probably on the worst 10 hitters in, in all of MLB, I think, for that period. So, you know, that is not great. Plus, you got a pitcher. Plus, you got, you know, probably Mag Sierra in there. Plus, Devers. Plus, Birdie. Plus, I mean, the problem is there's too many guys hitting 180 or less. Like, there's four or five of them a day, plus a pitcher. So, you know, it clearly points to where the challenges lie. Eli, you know, based on how the roster's built, not just the, you know, there's guys on the IL, it is what it is, but the roster, and I include the 40-man within that. So, you know, the options that are available, you know, what changes, you know, what can Donnie do, really? You know, what else can he do, really, based on the guys that are down and the guys that are underperforming? Like, <laughs> where does he turn? It's a mess, right? As we're recording this, another injury, Daniel Castano, the Italian stallion with oh, a boy. shoulder injury. So he's, remember, he was just recalled up to the majors, assumed to be like filling out this rotation. Um, very bizarre that he gets called up and before he even appears in a game during this most recent call-up, he's on the injured list now uh, with a, a shoulder injury. And they're bringing up now Braxton Garrett in his place. So Braxton Garrett was one of the few options that they do have still on the 40 men who we've barely seen in the majors so far this year. And um, Braxton Garrett was pretty impressive the last time I saw him in AAA. Um, but now he is in a position where kind of by necessity, he is going to be plugged into this rotation. And um, so there's a lot to touch on. I mean, just frankly, there's been a lot of underachievement, even though um, I was kind of critical uh, coming into this year that they just did not add enough really proven players at various positions to expect this team to contend. That includes catcher. That includes the back end of the starting rotation. That includes the bullpen, uh, et cetera. They could have used an extra infielder, an extra like vers versatile infielder uh, that would have had more some power potential to him. Like there was a lot of areas they could have addressed, but there has been a lot of underachieving. Uh, you mentioned John Birdie, who I think we'll get to again before this pod is over, where Birdie was pretty good uh, each of the last two years uh, in just all around player, that someone that had really exceeded their expectations. And he's not hitting as well. I, I think some of it is simple bad luck that um, his batted ball is average on balls in play is simply not what it used to be. The balls are not getting through. He leads the team in grounding into double plays despite being as quick as he is. And he is still as quick as ever. Um, it's a little bit of a mystery why he's regressed as much as he has. Um, and who else did we bring up that's uh, at the plate. I mean, there's been just inconsistency for a lot of guys. Garrett Cooper, who finally has turned it on uh, 
for the most part over the last month or so, but for that first month and a half, he was dreadful. He was maybe their least valuable player because he was playing a lot and he was not hitting for power and he was really struggling defensively as well. Uh, Corey Dickerson, of course, is kind of the same guy he was last year, if not a slight step back from that, that there has been like, I think there were some expectations even of these middle of the road players that they could have been more than what we were hoping. Um, and that includes the rotation too. There've been these injuries to Sixto. Nobody else has the talent of Sixto. Um, and not, it's really hard to replicate Eliezer Hernandez and how he piles up those strikeouts that, um, these were kind of big shoes to fill from the rookies that they were bringing up into these situations. But if you just run through the list of those players that they've tried to plug into that rotation from Daniel Castano, who is now injured, but before that was very mediocre, Nick Neider was um, unfortunate. I mean, he was someone that I felt very highly in being a polished pitcher who could throw strikes. And his main problem in his few starts is that he couldn't throw strikes. Uh, So that was mystifying with him. And uh, just all these other guys that they've called up just have not really given them anything on the back end. So there's a lot of pressure on Braxton Garrett to uh, be different. Um, uh, Jordan Holloway is almost back. He's kind of been a bright spot and he had that groin injury. He'll be back soon. So we'll see. It's still a long season to go. There's more of the season ahead than what's happened so far. But what's happened so far is that these depth pieces they were relying on, guys that had very little major league experience, if any at all, um, that they are not showing they're not near their full potential yet. And I mean, I really think the only solution to that is in the off season, be more aggressive spending money for guys that have a real tangible track record in the big leagues and how many of those players are available on low risk one-year deals. Um, They were, this is more of a lesson for next year because I think it's just too late really to consider plugging holes now in the middle of the season, considering where you are in the standings and how unlikely it is that any one guy can move the needle that much. These are really more of lessons moving forward uh, for this organization. Yeah. And it's been a rough week for the the starting pitchers as well, or rough two weeks, whatever it is. Uh, You know, you get Eliezer back, comes into the game, his first start back. I didn't see the game live. It was while I was on, on, on holiday, but you know, by all reports, was striking everyone out, went five, was going to go six, was out there, um, you know, running the bases, came in uh, with a big run and, you know, serious quad injury. So there you go. Cody Poteet, who's pitched well, he's been a nice bright spot for me. He then has a, an MCL sprain or something along those lines. So, you know, bang, bang, two guys, all of a sudden you, you thought, great, you've got a five-man rotation for the first time probably all year. And then bang, bang. And our next thing is um, Dan Castano's up. He's, he's down again. You know, it's, it's been really tough for the Marlins just juggling this, these, you know, effectively a three-man rotation and mix and match and all the rest. It's so hard to do all year. And I guess really it leaves us in a spot where what do you do? What do you do at this moment? You just got to keep cycling through these guys and just hoping, A, they stay healthy because – no one's staying healthy. And if they do stay healthy, they pitch to their ability or close to their ability. You know, like you said, Nicky Nider, a um, lot of buzz on him, but was just walking everyone. <laughs> and that's where it kills you, right? The walks pile up. And next thing is the long ball. And next thing is you've given a three-run shot and the games, the Marlins offense can't live with that. That's the thing, you know, that's the problem. Where you get the walks and the, and, and the Mooner that follows then, 
then you get into a bad spot. So I'm really intrigued if the, I mean, I've put out some, uh, you know, some fun tweets about maybe who the Marlins may want to target to try and plug some of them gaps. But, you know, I was half joking about arena. I kind of was half not, I was kind of half serious about it. Like he fits the, the brief is what. Yeah, no, let's jump into that for a little bit. I don't mind that at all. Um, I think the Tigers are very unlikely to be motivated to move him because he did miss some time on the injured list for them. And he has, to this point, he's been the same guy he was in Miami. He's been fine. Uh, someone that is, he gives you decent length to his outings, but the results are like what you would expect from the very back of your rotation. He'd be an upgrade for the Marlins. I just, uh, for the Tigers, I think what they'd be doing is they'd be waiting as close to the deadline as possible for him to hopefully go on a hot streak because the people that don't remember, I mean, Marlins, they did have opportunities to trade Urania um, during that, I guess it must've been in 2018 where uh, the first year of this rebuild, he was pretty decent the first half of the year. He had a nice hot streak going into July. And I mean, at that point, he still had several years of team control remaining. And that was before we knew anything about Pablo or anything about Sandy. You just didn't know exactly who else was coming uh, as reinforcements behind him on the depth chart. So they didn't seriously consider moving him. I don't think they would have gotten a ton in return, but he's, he's been in this situation before. Uh, like it's really the exact same situation he was in about 2018 so they're kind of they'll bet on him maybe going on a hot streak and then flip him at some point uh but unfortunately i mean the point with the marlins is that they needed they needed someone not now they needed somebody like a month ago a month ago i know that's what's been it's been infuriating and i'm sure kim ang is she's going to have a media availability right after this call that and we'll be pressing her on that is how they just did not show very much urgency at all to react once these injuries happened. And um, if, if that's the case, then it just, it speaks volumes about what they thought this season was and that it just wasn't a high priority for them to give up any part of their future to tie things together in the moment. I don't think that's shocking when you consider, you know, the messaging that they gave us coming into this year, the messaging was they were going to, see they wanted to evaluate all these like young former top prospects at a bunch of different positions you you guys know the names of all these top prospects that many of them are at double a pensacola or triple a jacksonville and they were going to come up at some point during the year and this is going to be a great evaluation year for them and uh so far uh obviously jazz chisholm jr has been a big bright spot of that where he's looked every bit of an everyday player um, and as the season goes on, there's a lot of other guys that we hope to see as this year goes on. But the fact that the, the division was so mediocre in April and May, and it still is a terrible division outside of the Mets, the Mets are building a cushion all of a sudden. The fact that the, the division was within reach, I think that uh, even though that sounds like a good thing, that probably put fans in the wrong frame of mind, just seeing how close they were so deep into the year. And that's, I think that's the disconnect part, between right? between what the fans are thinking and what the front office is thinking. You could see it though, because they were in shooting distance, but they were rolling out a three-man rotation. And clearly it's not sustainable. Like it, it clearly isn't for a long period. And so it was gonna at some point, I think, catch up with the guys. But Sean, what about you know? Hey, listen, the Marlins may go on a hot streak. You never know. Arania may go on a hot streak. We never know. I mean, they, they come and go, uh, you know, <laughs> without signal and without forewarning. But um, 
you know, could you know, could you see Orania coming back, you know, closer to the deadline? Could that could that work? Well, so, so you put out Urania and you you caught a bit of flack here and there for that. So <laughs> not a lot I of people were keen to, on that one. I tried to do a little bit of work, and now I'm not a GM and I haven't got a team of guys working for me, but I kept it simple and I had a little look at all the teams that had a worse record than the Marlins, and I looked at their unrestricted free agent pitching, and it isn't great. There was some real, real rubbish out there. And Urania actually makes the top three of that list. Uh, he's not, I've, I've literally written here, not terrible. He hasn't <laughs> been that bad. He has been basically what he was for the Marlins. Um, the numbers are, are there or thereabouts. If you look at what else is there, you've got uh, John Gray for Colorado. Um, he's just coming back from an injury. And then you've got Pineda for Minnesota. Now, he's got a bit of a bit of money behind him with $10 million. He's also coming back from a forearm injury. So there just there isn't those arms out there. Now, we could question Kim Ang and we could question the team and say, why weren't you bringing in another arm? But on, on what I've seen, there isn't that much quality. Now, obviously, they're, they're going to be looking at guys on the 40-man and in AAA and things like that. But ultimately, at this point, as far as I'm concerned, there isn't a guy to bring in to bolster the rotation. Now, if something happens in the next couple of weeks, we've got Sandy, we've got Pablo, we've got Rogers. We're, we're trusting now Thompson, who, I'll be honest, I'd never heard of. And, and, and Yeah, exactly. And Garrett, who has, is, you know, he's a name that we all know and we're expecting things from him in the future. But ultimately, that's a real sketchy situation to be talking about going into June. Mm. If anything happens to either of those five guys before we're getting back, you know, Poteet or Castano or Holloway, all of whom could be two, three, four weeks away, we've got to bring somebody in. Doesn't matter who they are, we can't go with you know a three man rotation of Sandy, Pablo, and Rogers. Let's hope that's not one of those guys that goes down, no. and a Thompson or a Garrett and a bullpen, a bullpen day that really just will not work, even if we acknowledge that the team are done for the year. We're going to be putting too many innings on, on the arms that are left. We're going to have to bring in a guy, even if it, it is Urania at, you know, a five, five and a half ERA. We need somebody at this point to eat innings, which, given what we were talking about in spring, arms for days, mm. is a really disturbing situation. We're running out of days, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> the problem is, now listen, the, the Marlins, the organisation, there's arms for days, no doubt about it. There's some absolute studs all over the show, but we've got a bit of a gap. We've got a bit of a gap now from the major league studs, then there's a kind of a plateau, then you go a, a layer down and then it, it, it again reignites. I think that's the thing you've got. I mean, bloody hell, Jake Eder, he is he is just a man possessed in double A. So, you know, listen, is, is it Jake Eder season, Eli? Could it be? I mean, could they skyrocket him in and just say, listen, just go for it, big man? 
I can't speak highly enough of how dominant he's been. I mean, for someone that was a fourth round draft pick, he was actually the fifth pitcher that they selected in their draft. He was their second to last player that they drafted uh, more than a hundred picks went by before he came off the board. And I mean, it spoke volumes that they gave him this assignment at double a as his first, you know, official minor league stop. That is very unusual. I mean, they did that with Max Meyer. You could understand with Max because everybody agreed he was close to being major league ready. The fact that they did it with Eater, that assignment alone got, got me excited. And mm. he's just every single outing has been good. Every single outing and um, including the most recent one, which was more than good. It was perfect through five innings. Um, so uh, while that would be as encouraging as it gets to go five perfect innings uh, to lower your ERA to 0.61 more than a month into the season, I think it also gave it also, you know, was a reality check that they pulled him after five innings and that to this point, he has not pitched more than five innings in a game to this point that um, their development plan with him is that although they gave him this assignment up at double a, um, they, they're still not sure that he's a starting pitcher yet. Like if he hasn't gone three times through a lineup uh, for as amazing as he's been um, the way that they're handling him, I think it makes it pretty clear that, uh, I, I mean, if he continues pitching at this level, then maybe he forces his way up in September. If he does that, I mean, that would be something that I don't think I've ever seen before. Like, <laughs> that's no, the thing is that wild, if he sustains I... this for three months, that's something that you do not see uh, for someone that is so much younger than his competition. But he is, it's clear immediately that he is so much better than how people valued him as a prospect. So I don't know who you give the credit for to Jake himself or to give credit to the Marlins organization for working on some things to make him more consistent or both, but his fastball command is excellent. And his breaking ball is, is a, terrific. It's it gets swings and misses. It gets looking pitch. I, at the very least, he's kind of established this worst case scenario where I think he's still a very viable major league reliever, but you could obviously dream a lot more just based on this start. So he's not the near term guy. Again, this is the jam that they're in um, that they have made some pitching moves around the edges and you haven't really noticed them because they are. Um, I mean, I, there's really no way to put it gently. These are nobodies that they've plucked out of independent ball like um today let me see if i could grab this guy's name up because i'd never heard of him i <laughs> fired this lefty reliever uh, from the cliburn railroaders his name is mason melatakis and he presumably will go to either jacksonville or to pensacola a couple of days before that they acquired eric stout who's a former big leaguer he had a cup of coffee in the big leagues a few years ago back in 2018 uh, they, I guess a month ago, they made the move for Rob Zestrensny, who his nickname is Scrabble because of all the strange letters in his name. He has big league experience and he's now pitching fairly well at AAA. Uh, but for the most part, I don't think you can trust any of these guys as starting pitchers. These are all depth pitchers um, that are, they're not really expected to be anything more than AAA depth at the moment. It's been, it's been unusual. It's been unusual where it's just so apparent that they need to try some new, some new arms up at the big league level to not rush these prospects and to not face these questions about when is Eater coming up? When is Meyer coming up? If this doesn't fit their timeline, mm -hmm. but it's, I don't have a good answer for, you know, why they've handled it this way, but because they did, uh, they, they really are running out of options. Uh, hopefully some of these injured guys begin to come back. As we said, Jordan Holloway making another rehab start in a few days, he's getting pretty close and he showed some intriguing stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And he looked better as a reliever, I thought. I thought when he came in relief, yes, he looked better. Yeah, that's a, that's another big question that they have to deal with him because me, actually, I, I personally do think that the bullpen is the right way to go with him and that in the perfect world, I think once he gets healthy, you, you keep him, if you want to give him a chance to start, then you would ideally have him at double A or triple A work as a starter and not in the big leagues uh, because there's still, yeah, still some kinks to work out with him as well. But I, I really just don't have a, there have been a lot of pitching injuries, but we're going to have an article in a few days on fish stripes, kind of putting it into perspective around the division, how almost all these other teams in the division have the same amount of pitching injuries. It's not the Marlins all alone. Uh, the Marlins are worse than some teams in that regard, but there are teams that are even worse off than the Marlins are in that regard. It's not really that exceptional that uh, this is, it's unfortunate, but this is something that uh, nobody really knew exactly what to expect from the season. The one thing that, I think many people in and around baseball agreed on is that injuries were going to go up because of coming off this shortened season, just having no roadmap of how to stay fit without the normal baseball schedule. And that has come to pass that these injuries are kind of at an unprecedented level and the organizations that invested more in actual major league quality depth. Those are the ones that are doing a better job of staying afloat than the Marlins are. Yep. Listen, it it wouldn't be fair of me to invite you on the pod and not ask you about, we're talking about no-name guys and guys plucked out of nowhere, literally. Let's get into Bendermania. Boy, oh boy, you were hot on him early doors from spring and he you know, truly delivered. I mean, we've had one blow-up, right? We had one blow-up this week and I must say, I, I watched that game. It was my first game back. After a week off, I was loving the game so far and then it, the wheels fully fell off with Bass Mania uh, and Bender Mania combining for just hell <laughs> from a Marlins perspective. But let's take that aside. He has been, for me, when I've watched him, it looks unhittable. Like it's the velocity and the movement combination is just sensational. I, I honestly believe there's there's a possibility that, that he could be closing games this year. Like, honestly, I believe he could be as we get deeper into the year. We'll have to see. But what have you seen from Bender? As you said, I've been a huge advocate of him from, I'd say, really that first or second spring training game. Just once we were able to understand the quality of the stuff that he had and how he was using it, that that alone made him exceptional. Uh, Better stuff than anybody else in this Marlins bullpen. Yeah. Uh, That's the case. And I, I was... The only thing I was pumping the brakes on is that the quick comparisons between him and Nick Anderson, mm-hmm. as we're seeing it play out, I don't, those comparisons don't even look that absurd anymore. He really no. is not, maybe not quite in that category, but pretty, pretty close in terms of having those two plus pitches, that fastball that has exceptional velocity and movement at the last second, the slider that has a great separation between the fastball and he's able to locate both pitches. That's such a simple model for success and it's working for him so far. He's the only Marlins pitcher ever to start his major league career with a streak like this, with having, I think, 13 straight scoreless outings to this point. Never happened before. The Marlins have never had a guy pop up like this and for him to be someone that obviously was as you said, off the map in independent ball. Mm. Uh, I think uh, Jordan McPherson from the Miami Herald, he did some good deep diving into exactly what Bender was before the Marlins got him and what he is now, that this was really a very bold acquisition off the map. And he's turned out to be a terrific bargain. Uh, What we've seen is that, of course, entering this year, they revamped the bullpen um, that 
there's it's hard to be loyal to any one pitcher if you believe your organization is so good at developing the next wave of pitchers. And we are still pretty optimistic about how this organization is building up waves of really dominant pitchers in the pipeline. Some of those will be starters. Probably the majority of those are going to be either in a tweener role or end up specializing as a reliever that they'll have other options to come away. If, if you have somebody like if you have someone that you don't have much invested in that is overachieving to such a degree and can show that he's producing at the major league level right now. I mean, they were the fact that they traded Nick Anderson at the exact same point in his career, midway yeah. through his first season, he can't totally rule out Bender drawing that same kind of interest as well uh, this year. Uh, I was thinking so exactly early. that. I yeah, was, I was so, exactly what I was thinking was, you know, listen, if the Marlins are way out of it, you're going to be calling for the best players, right? I mean, that's clearly what you'll do. And if, uh, if Bender continues down his path, if Aguilar keeps mashing on the road like he has been and does a bit at home, you know, people are calling about Aguilar, no doubt. Marte, we know it. They'll be calling about all the SPs. I mean, I don't know, you know if they put the phone down straight away or not, but, you know, they'll be calling on Pablo Sandy, of course. I mean, people will. Bullpen pieces, um, you know, it's. I, I was thinking exactly that with Bender, where you've plucked him out of nowhere. He's 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 had a wild half a season. Can you make a move, knowing what what other waves are coming, and acquire you know a couple of real nice pieces again for the future? I mean, that's kind of the Marlins' blueprint. I mean, it has to be. Um, so I'm <laughs> I'm intrigued on that one, um, guys. We're kind of running out of time, so I've, I've got a few other. I guess, news and notes to kind of catch up on um, just to get your, your takes on in the past couple of weeks. Um, Sean, one thing that really popped uh, last week at some point, Jose Devers spent some time in the leadoff spot. So Jose Devers, he's been, you know, he came up way overmatched. I think he was the first series against the Giants, if I recall, way overmatched. Clearly, I mean, he should never have been there. But next thing is, he's kind of settled in and is progressing at a rapid rate, seemingly, at the major league level. He's looking looking nice. I'm not clear whether this is really the right development path for him. But, you know, Devers in the leadoff spot. Um, what have you made of that one? Yeah, I mean, Devers on the major league roster to begin with was, like you said, he's been, he started off a bit overmatched. It was, yeah, a bit of a surprise. As far as putting him in the leadoff spot, I suppose, you know, if you look at him working through the minor leagues, he probably was playing in the leadoff spot as he worked his way through. And that's probably where you ultimately would want to put him. So whether or not it was a case of let's put him somewhere where he's familiar and somewhere where that he's used to, and maybe it'll be you'll feel a little bit more comfortable. Mm. Uh, you know, if you, if you leave him down in the seven, eight spot, and that's probably somewhere he's not really hit before. You know, when he was an amateur, he was probably the best player on his team. And as he's worked through the minors, he's probably been the lead-off guy. So whether or not that's the, the thinking or not, I'm not sure. But, yeah, I think ultimately Devers really, really shouldn't be on the Major League roster at this point it is a case of the season has put us in this situation. Yeah. Now, whether or not you probably would prefer just to plug in a quad A guy that's just working as, you know, working as a professional baseball player at AAA, well, rather funny. than bringing up a heralded prospect. 
it's funny because the guy, the obvious guy, has decided to go off and have another go at the Olympics. Um, you know, that's the funny thing is Eddie Alvarez obviously spent, you know, a decent chunk of time on the roster in, in 2020. And, you know, when when Mickey Rowe goes down, um, you know, and, and BA, so all of a sudden John Birdie's util role is completely evaporated. He's full-time every day. Eddie Alvarez was the obvious guy, I guess, but he's made that decision and he's off. I guess, I don't know, are they playing games yet or where are they up to? They're just like... I'll get you up to speed on that. So the timing was, as you say, just absolutely uh, impeccable that this was exactly (laughs) as those injuries happened was exactly when this qualifying round of the Olympics was taking place among the uh, North American and South American teams. So it was the US, it was the Dominican Republic, Canada, um, eight total teams or at least six total teams down in in, in Florida. And it was the exact timing. Of course, the Marlins, as we saw, they called up Luis Marte and they gave him a nice opportunity to play in the big leagues for the first time. That mm-hmm. would have been Eddie Alvarez. There's no way they would have called up Marte over Alvarez because they've seen what Eddie does in the majors. And I, I don't know if he's dramatically better, but he certainly was ahead in the pecking order. So he was away for more than a full week. He had to leave a little bit before the tournament in late May to get acclimated with his teammates, teammates, a lot of really young prospects in a mix of also very accomplished major leaguers, you know, like Todd Frazier, Matt Kemp, uh, Homer Bailey, a handful of others that had pretty extensive major league careers, but aren't currently on rosters. So he left a few days ahead of time. I believe they played their first game on May 31st. And then they played almost every day that whole week. He was their primary second baseman that week. He played pretty well. I think he went, I don't know the numbers on me, but three for 11 or four for 11 with a, a couple doubles with a triple with like three runs batted in. Like he made a difference for them and they ended up winning that going undefeated and clinching a spot in the Olympics. But now there's the Olympics don't start for another month and a half, two months. So in the meantime, I believe he is about to return to triple a Jacksonville and he'll be available again. Uh, I'm on the exact same page as you, Sean, with uh, Jose Devers. It's been fun to watch him in the major leagues. I think he's shown some things that he really like long-term. I think it's mismanagement that he's in the majors. Like I, they were in this weird situation during that first road trip where they called him up in an emergency. He was on the taxi squad. They had to put somebody on the roster and they got stuck with him there. But the fact that they couldn't figure out another, that they didn't weren't staffed with another, you know, competent, more experienced infielder to plug this role uh, a couple weeks ago when of course, both BA and, Miggy Rowe went out and that they called up Devers again. Uh, I hate it because he's in the situation where he skipped double a. And for the most part, he has now been skipping triple a in order to be in this like semi part-time role where he's not even playing the majority of these games. It's a huge interruption in his development. Uh, and this is someone especially that has been missing a lot of action in his career due to nagging injuries, a few different kinds. Like the one thing he has not gotten in his career is a full summer of everyday reps in organized games. And once again, he's not going to get that. And it's through no fault of his own. Uh, I'm happy for him in one respect because he's getting paid like a major leaguer. When he's on the major league roster, you get a lot more than just being on the 40 man roster. You get entitled to, he's making a nice chunk of change for himself. Uh, He's a new father and that's going to help support his his kid. I, I feel so happy for him that he's got called up ahead of schedule in that respect. But for his long-term career, this is uh, disappointing. 
So I, I hope they do find a way to wriggle things around on the 40 man in order to put somebody like Eddie Alvarez back on, send Devers back down. And uh, I mean, according to the injury update today, Miguel Rojas progressing a little bit about to start baseball activities. So hopefully he's not that far away from returning. We know how much they've missed him on this team in so many different ways. No doubt about it. I mean, I I've said it, you know, a few days in a row really, or put tweets out there. I, I just can't see the Marlins losing eight, eight straight with Miggy Rowe in there in that clubhouse and on the field. I just, I just couldn't see it. Can't see it happening. I know there was a couple of real heartbreaking losses and bullpen issues, but he's so big. He's so big in that clubhouse. And, you know, it's when you go on those kind of skids, you need the, you need the dudes around you. I think, I think that really matters in those kind of tough moments. So, you know, I, for me, like you said, the, the injury update today was, was positive. Taking grounders, that sounds positive more than, more than anything, really, in some ways. So, yeah, looking forward to Miggy Rowe. Doesn't sound that long away. Eli, I wanted to ask you about, because uh, I haven't seen a lot, actually, but I want to ask you about Isan playing pretty much every day at third base now. So Isan's at third. What's interesting is, A, I haven't watched as many games, but... The ball doesn't seem to be going to Isan much at third. So I haven't, I don't feel like I've seen much of him at third. You know, those kind of BA plays where, you know, we kind of has to kind of swoop and zing it over to first base quickly. I haven't seen much of that from Isan. Maybe I've missed it, but, you know, <laughs> what's your take both on in terms of the shift and transition to third? And just, I guess, Isan in general, now he's getting a, an extended run at things. It's underwhelming. Uh, I don't really feel any differently about him now than I did uh, last year or when we first saw him. I mean, of course, people were fixated on the development of his bat um, because one, he won the minor league player of the year in 2019. He put up great numbers at AAA. And uh, what I thought was, I hated it when I saw it, when people started comparing his swing to Robinson Cano before he had done anything in the major leagues. I thought that was the worst thing for him, that that was never going to be an expectation for him, even if everything went right. And uh, I feel like those comparisons may have actually done a disservice to him in the long run, that they equivalented him to one of the extraordinary hitters of his generation. So that hasn't panned out, but because of the interest in his swing, it's kind of overlook the fact that he was not playing all that well at second base, even as a major leaguer, I mean, especially in 2019. And we just haven't seen a whole lot of it in 2020 or 2021. But I mean, I think it's clear for one between him and jazz, that jazz is a superior player in that regard as well. And I, I mean, it's still very early in his career. He's 25 years old. Even if you combine all the playing time, he's only had about the equivalent of a half a major league season under his belt. So you don't want to give up on him. Uh, completely, of course, but uh, there's only, I don't think we're that far away from having to reach a conclusion on who he is because it has been really, there's just not been a, a lot to get excited about. And the fact that if you have all these questions about his bat and about his approach at the plate, then you need to make up for it by being not just a good defender, but a versatile defender. So I guess you credit him for the willingness to try to adjust to third base. He did not have much third base experience prior to this year. I'd say that um, he doesn't look any worse at third base than he does at second base, but the difference between him and, and BA is, is pretty apparent, even though I think you bring up a good point that for whatever reason, there haven't been all that many situations where he's been challenged. Like I think I can only think of maybe one or two plays 
on slow grounders to third base um, where he wasn't able to make the play. And that's one that we've seen BA make a thousand times that the arm strength is not the same, certainly. Mm-hmm. And the release is not quite as uh, smooth with him. Uh, he, he could be a passable third baseman, but he's just not playing uh, the defense at the kind of level to compensate for the weaknesses offensively. And I mean, if you just want to point something out, it's also his base running that if you want to look for the, like the biggest difference between someone like him and John birdie is that birdie uh, disappointing year for him overall, but he's still a great base runner when he does get on. And Eason has never been that he's had a couple of years in the minors with nice, decent stolen base totals, you know, 10, 15, maybe one year he got close to 20, but he just does not have the same speed and all the measurables that we now have in the big leagues that kind of back that up that he's at best, like an average runner it's it's not a it's not good it's just not a good situation uh with him this was a bigger opportunity than he could have ever expected uh coming out of spring training because of how poorly spring training ended with all these injuries they were they thought he was uh you know uh, they chose him to keep him around coming out of spring training over trying to acquire one of those veterans that kind of we hinted at before you know trying to make a move for someone that has more of a track record at the big leagues they thought if things really go to shit with our infield then we call him up and I guess they thought something good could happen he's had a couple of those home runs that both those home runs extremely memorable and almost everything outside of those home runs has has not been memorable so it's it's been unfortunate I, I wouldn't say disappointing those because my expectations were not particularly high even coming into uh this year so it's it's just not looking great for his long-term significance in the organization. It's a good, it's a good point. You know, the, the home runs, they clearly stick in your mind like they do, particularly in big spots. I mean, one was a salami and the other one was against Max. So, uh, and, and obviously his, his debut one against DeGrom. So they, they stick in your mind, these, these highlight real moments for Isan Diaz, but you're, you're so right that outside of that, there's just, not much going on at all. I mean, yesterday, I'm pretty sure his second at bat, he decided to go no batting gloves. So clearly, like, you know, he's trying to make changes. Like, it obviously, you know, when he's doing that mid-game, making little minor adjustments, new bat, different gloves, different helmet, right? I'm going to stand, I'm going to balance on my leg differently. I don't know, whatever. Like, that's a sign of, an un, you know, a guy that's struggling with confidence and trying to find anything. And Really, in the major league level, that's not the place to be trying to find it. He's hitting under 150. Um, he's having a run at it. To me, Brian Anderson, it sounds discouraging, the news. Like, it's it's clearly going to be time with BA. Like, you know, it's very light progression, I think, for him. And I think he's still, some t- you know, some way away. But Miggy yeah. Rowe's coming back, so. Yeah, just to give a note on Brian Anderson, Craig Mish had this mentioned in his long update on the Herald today that they think the the messaging from the medical team was about four to six weeks total of an absence for him. And uh, what, as of this recording, we're about two weeks into that. And he's, he's behind of where Miguel Rojas is. I think Mattingly used that terminology today. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think best case scenario, the very end of the month we're talking about with BA. Um, So uh, again, it's going to be an interesting decision. Every time that somebody comes back from the IL, it's an interesting decision of who goes down or who gets sent out. So first will be Miguel Rojas and we'll see exactly how they bend the team around him. And uh, it's, it's something, but not, none of that stuff is necessarily imminent. So that's a little bit down the road. Sean, let's get into some corner outfielders because we need to talk about them too. Um, Corey Dickerson, Corey Dickerson. 
expiring deal. Seems to be some limited, has limited everything from Corey Dickerson, unfortunately, this year. I, I, I was expecting him to maybe kick on. You know, clearly there's been other news coming out that he's you know got some family you know health issues and going on. So, you know, listen, that that's bigger than baseball anyway, right? So we totally understand it. But listen, from a Marlins perspective and on field, it's not been great. How close do you think we are now to you know maybe just straight up moving on from Dickerson? Like, you know, not even looking at trades or anything. I mean, maybe they will, but you know, just a straight DFA, listen, it's Jesus Sanchez season type of thing. I mean, how close do you think that is? I think, I mean, firstly, we'll talk about the fact that, yeah, Dickerson, the, the, we forget sometimes, especially when you get really deep into the numbers, there's a human being there mm. and there are things going on off the field that, that might occur that, that affect them. Ultimately, Dickerson, you know, struggled last year, hasn't really pushed on this year. Looking at purely on the field, Dickerson, yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, is a case of Dickerson will not be on this team next year. They, you know, the idea is that they, you know, in some way, you hope that they're going to be able to trade him, get something for him. I, DFA in him, I don't see it. I just, I think with the way that injuries have occurred, I mean, let's say you do that, you send him down. You bring up Jesus, and then all of a sudden there's an injury, and you've got to bring him back up. That's an awkward situation for yourself to put yourself into. I don't think the team do that. I think there will be a trade partner somewhere. It might not be the greatest return. Um, it might even just be salary relief. But ultimately, you know, the idea is I've always said Dickerson, Duval, and maybe even Marte. I don't see them on the roster next year. They are expiring contracts. They are they're guys that you move on and you try and get something for. Now, it's harder when you've got a guy like Dickerson who isn't really hitting well. Duval, I think, has shown enough flexibility across the year. I think a team would, would love to have that power, even if it is off the bench. But for Dickerson, it is a case of we'll get something for him. It won't be much. But, yeah, I think... I think you're already on the phone, ultimately. I think, <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think, I think you you give it a series or two. You know, the division is the way it is. It's a weak division. I'm not expecting playoffs at this point. But if you if you reel off a couple of series and the Mets go into the tank, all of a sudden you're thinking, can we really start sending the whole team away? But I think ultimately, yeah, we are there now. If you want to know what I would do right now, actually, today is a special day. Today is June 8th. It is a day where I was hoping to see Jesus Sanchez called up from AAA, the hottest hitter in minor league baseball. I was hoping to see him called up. I would have called him up. Um, DFA, Mags, uh, our beloved Magnara Sierra. I think it's time with him that his role on the team is just not significant anymore. And you see what you could get for him. And then that creates with Jesus Sanchez and right field on a mostly full-time basis, you create a platoon in left field between Dickerson and Duvall. I don't think either of them are, are useless. I think there's both of them have had some bright spots this year. I mean, there was a stretch Dickerson early on in the year where he 
was an on-base machine. And of course with Duvall, even now he has been a pretty good run producer overall. When the situation absolutely calls for it, he delivers. And we know defensively he's been even better than could have been expected. Um, and because Duvall actually has shown that ability to be a center fielder as well, he's that backup to someone like Starling Marte in the place. That's why it makes kind of Sierra a uh, expendable in that situation. So I have no idea what the team would do, but this is what I would have done like starting now is see what you got in Jesus Sanchez. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, this is that this was such like such a key priority to this year is finding out what you had in some of these former top prospects. Mm -hmm. And he's shown that he is ready for the opportunity. And meanwhile, if you put Dickerson and Duvall in these favorable matchups, Duvall playing mostly against lefties and Dickerson playing mostly against righties, you give them the best chance of being successful uh, in those matchups. And that's kind of how you resurrect some of their trade value. Uh, with Duvall, I think at the moment, I don't know if you get really anything in return from him. Uh, with Dickerson, I don't. I think there's even less than zero interest in him that because of his <laughs> contract and just because the, of the lack of a power element to his game and because defensively he's so limited just to left field and he's okay at left field, but it, when he's so limited there and doesn't give you anything else, I, I think they'd have a hard time finding another team that is willing to use him in like a meaningful role if you're a contending team. And again, he's on an expiring contract. The only teams that really be looking into him are ones that feel they still are in the thick of this race. Um, but there's still time with both of those. And I think the best way to use this time that you still have between now and the deadline is to platoon them uh, pretty strictly in that situation, maybe occasionally playing Duval in right field as well. Um, I, I, I would like to see that. Uh, I, Again, I don't think we're going to see it right now. There's no indication of that, but uh, that's that's my take on it that I've mentioned on a few different platforms by now. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the interesting knock-on effect there, uh, just on Duvall, uh, my gut feel is that they do trade Duvall. I think they actually trade him back to the Braves would be my my gut feel. Just randomly, I think the Braves um, would be in, interested in that reunion um, with what's gone on there. Um, clearly, things have gone a bit sideways for them in, in the outfield, so... I actually can see that happening, that hookup in some sort of way, the closer to the deadline. Um, the interesting knock on effect with that one would be, you know, what what role Cooper Loop takes on then at that stage. If you go, listen, we're going full-blown Jesus Sanchez, platoon the other side, you then kind of left platoon in maybe a first base and mixing a match in. I don't know. It's it's a tricky spot maybe, but, you know, you got to see what you want. The interesting other, uh, other point just at first base is, this random promotion, one day promotion for, for Lewin Diaz that just turned right. up out of nowhere. Um, right. Be yeah. Just the, because I had mentioned Jesus a, a couple of weeks ago where I thought the ideal landing spot for him was, was actually back then a couple of weeks ago when they started that road trip going through American league ballparks, yeah. that it's easier to like manage that balance of the, all those outfielders when you have that DH spot. So I was surprised that uh, he wasn't called up then and that Lewin, when he was called up immediately, uh, sent down. Um, but for complicated service time reasons, I think this is the perfect time to call up Jesus. Like just to put the numbers behind it at this point in the year, if you call him up, no matter what, he is under team control for this year. And then six more years beyond that through the 2027 season by holding him down to the minors, as long as they have already with Jesus Sanchez, they, they acquired that extra year of team control. Um, which I feel like might've been a factor, you know, if they really believe in him 
wholeheartedly to develop into this kind of everyday outfielder they've been craving so much, then uh, they no longer have that excuse for uh, keeping him down. But I'm that's really one of my main focuses now uh, with the Marlins at the moment. Every single day, I'm wondering when is Jesus Sanchez coming up? I can't think of there are other ways, as I mentioned, to like modify this roster around him to give him that opportunity. Uh, there's just not much left for him to prove. And we continue to see that this offense is just not great. You know, they're Starling Marte and there are, there are positives from a lot of these other guys that are up and down, but not consistent. Mm -hmm. And you want to give a highly touted, highly skilled offensive prospect an opportunity to prove that he can be that regular guy. So I'd like to see that uh, as a pivot towards balancing the short-term goals and the long-term goals that we've reached a point in the year where I think everything has to be a balance. Every move they make, they have to consider both 2021 and beyond that early in the year, you, you want to do everything possible to optimize the roster to win right now, but reality is setting in, uh, which is where they stand in, in the standings and all the, the limitations they have as a starting pitching staff that, just to circle back to bring this conversation full circle to the top of the podcast, talking about losing nine of 10 games. The reason why that was so devastating is because I don't think they have the team that's capable of winning nine out of 10 games. Mm -hmm. If you lose nine out of 10, there have been championship teams that lose nine out of 10 at some point in the year. Uh, every year, I think there's teams that make the playoffs that had a one and nine stretch in there. That stretch alone is not that devastating. The problem is when it's happening to this Marlins team and that I don't think they built an organization that is suited right now to negate that, to erase that by winning nine out of 10. That's the big concern with this team is it doesn't have that upside to go on a hot streak. Yeah. Makes sense. Guys, we are running, well, of course, very close to time. So the two final segments, we have a Rocky series. We have a Brave series. Sean, how do you see these home? Well, back at home. That's the other thing. We've been on these like, Two crazy long road trips. Um, this one was even longer than anticipated with the extra makeup day in between, which you know was probably frustrating for everyone. But anyway, they're back at home, home stand, two series, Rockies Braves. Um, Pablo going today, of course, but you know, mixing and matching some pitching for the rest of the uh, the week as well. How do you see these these two series shaping up? It's it's really difficult after well over an hour of bashing the Marlins and the position <laughs> that we're there's in. There's no bashing. And, and no, not bashing, but we've been, well, deservedly not very positive about the situation we're in. Colorado are trash. They're not a good old... They're, they're one of the teams that I was looking at earlier because they've got a worse record than the Marlins. The pitching's dreadful. They're a little bit bashed up, but who isn't? So I think, you know... We've got to. This is it. This is probably what hopefully Donnie's telling the team. This is this is our chance to sort of like put some wins under our belt and and keep ourselves in it. And who knows, the Braves. That'll be tough. Now, hopefully, we get some more performances from Duvall like we've had already against the Braves. If that happens, then maybe we piece a couple of wins together as well. Mm. But I think as being a realist, I think it is a case of saying, you know, we know where we are now in the season. We're, 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 we're cooked. Um, <laughs> and, and sometimes that's difficult. I mean, I've been a fan of the Marlins for too many years and 
you get into June and July and August, and you know you've got a losing team. I've seen so many 90 lost wins teams and 100 lost teams. And it's hard to turn the telly on in June and July and go, oh, here we go, another loss. But we do it because we're fans. And every now and then you get an exciting game and you get an exciting win. And that's what we're looking for now. Having said that, we've got some massive positives. We've got the pitching. We know what we've got in Sandy and Pablo and the emerging Trevor Rogers. Can he get Rookie of the Year? Why not? There are plenty of positives to keep us looking into the games, but sometimes it'll be a little bit ugly. I'm with you on that. The, the, the key difference that you highlighted there with 100 lost teams in the past is the rotation. Those three dudes in particular, plus if you get Sixto back and you know, let's see what they do with the others. But that is the key difference maker is it will remain watchable because the pitching is good enough and to, to bring you in. I think, in my opinion anyway, like I, I'll happily watch any of those three, four guys, no matter where we're up to. So I think that is the difference maker um, for us. But um, the only problem we've got is you look at the, the Rockies and go, they're, they're trash. And, you know, I think that was always in there in the stars for them this year. Uh, the problem being that we said the same about the Pirates, rolled in there and went, right, let's roll these Pirates over. And next thing is they, they win three on the bounce and you're like, well, what the hell's happened here? So anything can happen, but um, I'm with you. They, they clearly should, should roll over the Rockies at home. The Rockies are terrible in Miami too. That's the other thing. Record is not good. I feel like it was re- the reverse. I feel like our record both in Boston, Pittsburgh, I think also our record was terrible there. So Let's hope it, it aligns. And the Braves come to town. Listen, the Marlins Braves, they're the spiciest series going. They, you know, There's plenty there. The boys will be bang up for it, no doubt about it. Maybe Miggy Rowe, maybe back towards the end. I mean, maybe too soon. But Eli, how are you seeing these two series going? It should be a solid homestand. This yeah. is, uh, I mean, with this team, I understand why there is so much dread at this moment, uh, considering what the like rest of the season outlook looks like. I still think this is not a terrible team. The Rockies are a terrible team. And I believe pretty confidently they'll win the series, um, not sweep. I mean, some of the things the Rockies are doing right now are unsustainable, how like hopeless they are on the road. It's the, uh, it's hard to even like put words into how uh, impotent they have been in, on the road this season. I don't think that could keep up. I think they steal one game and the Marlins win two out of three. I think they also win two out of three against the Braves as well. Oh. Um, oh. This I, I, again, I understand all the dread about it, about the bullpen, just because the bullpen had a bad week. It's not a weakness of this team. It's still, um, I still believe in them. I, I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if like this bullpen has a pretty solid week moving forward. I didn't see like any red flag with any of these particular pitchers that makes you think maybe Anthony Bass. I mean, Bass, when he goes bad, it's really bad. Mm. Uh, aside, aside from him, uh, I, I don't think this team is, all that much weaker right now than it's been at other points in the season. And uh, for as bad as they've been playing, I think they're due for an uptick. So I think a four and two homestand winning both of those series, and that should make for a very interesting evaluation. People will get their hopes up depending on how the other teams in the division do. Um, But that, that should be fun with the Braves because the Braves themselves are having a disappointing year. So to lose a series against the Marlins at this stage in the year that keeps them still below 500, that should be a lot of fun. So I'll be optimistic uh, going into this week. Yeah, good. And you know, listen, there's a big series the Braves have got too. The Braves have got a big week. They're, they're playing Philly um, while we're playing the Rockies. So, you know, you always love those interdivision ones because um, they're, they're knocking games out of each other. I think the Mets are with 
maybe at home to the Orioles. So, you know, the Mets could well really extend their lead. And I think, like I said, for me, this is division or dead um, this year. I, I can't see a wild card coming out of this division at all right now. You know, clearly one will come out of the West. Maybe two will come out of the West right now. So division or dead. I, I, I think they need to take five of six this week. I said it last week and it blew up. So listen, it's a big spot. Like you, you've got to, it's got to be four or two, four and two bare minimum. If it's anything less then you know, really it is pure sell, heavy sell, try and get as much value as you can. But I mean, just the timing of that run was just not ideal. I mean, it's never a good time to lose eight on the, eight, eight on the bounce. It truly never is, but in the way it happened too, it was just very demoralizing. And Marlon's Twitter is absolutely on fire right now. There is uh, dumpster fire territory. So I hope they'll listen to this pod and feel uplifted by it. <laughs> Probably not. But um, anyway, guys, final segment. You know what it is. Emoji of the week. Eli, I hope you've got something. I mean, you know, you can't use a GIF, so you need an emoji. Um, so dig, dig deep in your phone now. Sean, you'll have something teed up. If you haven't, I'm ready to go. What have you got for us? So I've got the, the the hand on the chin thinking face. And it's this this is it. This is the moment of the season. What do we do? We need some wins, and maybe we 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 forego the decision. You know, if we end up losing six to eight of the next 10, 12 games, then you know, next time we speak, we know we're sellers. Mm-hmm. So this is the week where we decide what are we doing in 2021. Yep. Make or break. Eli, what have you got for us? I'll, just, I'll go with the snail, I guess. Falling behind, <laughs> finally, all these other teams after being clustered up for so long. The snail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these other teams are not running away from the Marlins, as we said. Only the Mets kind of putting together consistently, but everybody else in the division is still within reach. And the fact that Marlins have picked up just you know one win recently, that's it's fallen them off the pace and I'll use that. Yeah. Not, not going anything too, um, <laughs> too colorful there, but the snail and uh, just, yeah, you know, that kind of says it all. I like it. No, I think that's fair. Unfortunately, that is fair. And to, to, to go off the back of that for me, um, unfortunately it is the, the bin because honestly, I feel like that stretch at that moment, um, the season went in the bin at that moment for me. Um, it was just not optimal timing. And the problem is at this moment in time, there's no way to really make any fundamental changes. You just, you live in it. You're in the bin and there's no way to get out of it right now. Like this, just the timing is all wrong. The roster's not in a good spot. It's just not good. Who knows though? Hey, Zeus may be up, may tear it up. I mean, it'd be, it'd be lovely to see It'll just, you know, because we've had Jazz Chisholm come up and actually be a hitting prospect that has shown and delivered. Um, but they've been few and far between. But we've seen around the league other much-heralded prospects up, sent down already. Like, you know, it's just tough. I mean, hitting in baseball right now is the toughest it's probably ever been. Probably. I mean, they're trying to get this substance stuff under control. Maybe that will change things. Maybe it will slightly kind of angle back towards the hitting a little bit. I don't know, but like hitting right now is so, so tough for everyone and throw a rookie in there. It's just, it's really tough. So 
you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. Guys, yeah, what I've been saying about Jesus Sanchez, just to finish off on this, is that you don't call him up to be the savior of the team. And nobody, if anybody is telling you and guaranteeing you that he's going to turn the season around, they don't know what they're talking about because they're just, it's so unpredictable. But it shows two things. It just shows that you're willing to respond to these struggles and make some sort of adjustment and give somebody else a shot. And also just balancing the long-term as well, that even if he does terrible, even if he does a Kellenic and he goes 0 for 39, that's got Jared Kellenic sent down. Mm-hmm. Even if that happens, I think that can only be positive for him moving forward, giving him learning something in the process that would better prepare him to like really be hot out of the starting gates in 2022. It starts, it's time to like start taking little steps that prepare you for the future and I think that's one that I'm really high on, but for those reasons, not because I'm unrealistic about this guy, but it'd just be great to see some sort of switch up that gives the team an opportunity that gives you a reason to stay fixated in June, in July, even if this is the same old story you saw before the rebuild of mediocrity, that it gives you a reason to find something new, to study something new, and hopefully celebrate somebody having success for the first time. I'm going to change no, I'm going to add one emoji to it then. It's the, the weighing scales emoji. That is the balance. Short and long-term in balance. That is, that's the spot the boys are in right now and the, the club's in. So, right, we are, we are very much out of time. So, Sean Barrett, the UK GOAT in the house. Thanks as always, buddy. And to Eli Sussman, king of gifts. Fish Stripes, Managing Editor. I didn't even give you the full intro. I just gave you the king of gifts, but everyone knows who you are now. But Eli, for anyone who isn't following you, and I'm, if they aren't, I'd be shocked. If you're listening to this pod and you, you're not following Eli, then message me straight after. Um, but Eli, where can people get you on Twitter? It has surprised me. I don't tweet all that often from my personal account. I use it mainly for DMs to keep up with everybody, but it's at Real Eli, spelled E-L-Y. Uh, they can find me personally on Twitter. uh, But otherwise I'm kind of connected to all the fish stripes platforms, fish stripes on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitch, everything. And our podcast, of course, fish stripes podcast. So you search for fish stripes and you'll find me or you search for real Eli E L Y on Twitter. Happy to talk with people, happy to message with people as well. And happy to be on with you, Peter, as always, this podcast is great coming up fast on number 100. So I'm sure you'll do some creative things to celebrate that. Yep. Stay tuned for them. We'll have someone in store. I mean, we'll, we'll, yeah, no spoilers yet, but there'll be, there'll be some, some action for that. That's only three episodes away. So boys, that is episode 97 in the books. Uh, me and Eli will be dropping off to go and listen to Kim Ang right now. And then we'll be enjoying the, the Rocky series. And um, we will of course be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, stay safe and go fish. Go fish.